right, good morning, everybody. Great to see you in the house today. Hey, uh, why don't you get your Bible out and open up with me uh, to the book of Acts chapter 5. If you didn't have a Bible, there should be one at your seat, all right? Uh, Acts chapter 5 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. You know, if, uh, if I were to take you with me to Israel, uh, one of the places we would go is a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's an ancient city up in the northern part of the country. It's right at the base of Mount Hermon where um, uh, they, they actually, it's the highest peak Mount Hermon is. They actually have a ski resort on top of Mount Hermon, believe it or not. Uh, you can ski in the Middle East. And, uh, and at the base there is the ancient city of Caesarea Philippi. And it, and it was kind of the Las Vegas of its day. I mean, it was a place where the good Jewish boy went to do naughty things that he didn't want his mom to know uh, because there were lots of pagan shrines there, lots of pagan temples that were there. And uh, many of these pagan temples were built around a large grotto. Now, I've told you this story before, but it's, it's just amazing to see this large cave-like grotto that's there. In fact, here's a picture that you can see. This is kind of modern day. You kind of see the scope of it. And, and, and just kind of look at that picture. They believe that that was the gateway to the underworld. So they built these temples around. In fact, you can see a little cutout to the right, which is part of an, an ancient niche uh, that was a part of a shrine. I think the next slide kind of shows some of those ancient niches that are cut out where the shrines were built. And they just believed that if they offered sacrifices there, that, that it, was, it was the gateway to the underworld or the gateway to Hades. And of course, Jesus took his disciples there late in his ministry. And that's where he had this conversation. Who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah, so on. And then Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And then, of course, Peter, this is the one time Peter didn't put a sandal in his mouth, right? He actually got it right. Uh, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, boom, hit it over the back fence. You know, Jesus like, yes, Peter, way to go. And uh, he said, that's right. And on that confession, on the rock of the confession that you've just given, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, there it is right there. The gate, all the demonic evil in the world will not prevail against the church. Now, this is really important because, number one, it's one of the first times Jesus ever used the word church is in this one passage, but also that he says that the church will be founded on the gospel and that all the evil in the world will not prevail against the church, that the church is an unstoppable force for God in the world. That's what he's saying that the church is an unstoppable force. In fact, I love teaching that on this location because you can see all the ruins of these pagan temples that no longer exist and the church is advancing all over the world even still today, all right? Um, but I, I think that this idea that the church is an unstoppable force it not only was in Jesus' mind, but certainly is now, we're gonna see played out in the book of Acts in chapter five. I guess you could take uh, chapter five of the book of Acts and you could write over the top of it, when God starts it, nothing can stop it. When God starts it, nothing can stop it. All right, let's just say that out loud together. Here we go. When God starts it, nothing can stop it. And that's exactly what he meant uh, by the work uh, of the church. So that's what we're gonna look at uh, today, Acts chapter five. Um, 
just kind of a setup for what we're about to read. By the time we get to Acts 5, the movement of the church is just growing exponentially now. Uh, there's a sense of awe and fear and wonder and amazement among those who are following Jesus at this point. Uh, there, there are massive crowds. First 3,000 were saved. Then there's 5,000. Now it says in verse, uh, six, uh, verse 14, added to the Lord in increasing numbers were more and more and more people. In fact, they're like, we can't even count how many people are coming now. They're just coming from all over. No longer were they just being confined to people coming to Christ within Jerusalem. But now verse 16 says they were coming from surrounding cities as well. First time we see that. And so the gospel is advancing in a powerful way. And the, and the apostles are doing a lot of miracles. They're preaching and they're doing a lot of miracles. And we see this apostolic gift of miracles in play here. And, and again, just to remind you that that was there for reason. That, remember, they didn't have any Bibles. They didn't have any Bible studies like we have today. So they just had the gospel message and that message was validated and authenticated by the power of God. So they knew that it came from God because of these miracles were validating the message. And so this is happening, more and more people coming to Christ. By the way, this is all good news, right? Uh, the gospel's winning. The, the church is advancing. This is just what Jesus had in mind. The gates of hell will not prevail against. I mean, this is all good stuff. And then just when everything is going great and it's going as it's supposed to and we want to and we're all celebrating that, then uh, opposition uh, shows up, right? Ugh. Why don't you just say that with me? Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, opposition uh, shows up here. Um, I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 16, 9, uh, Paul writes, a great door of effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. You know, every time there's great opportunity, there will also be great opposition. Anytime you see God at work and God moving and God advancing, there will be countermeasures of resistance and hostility to stop the work of God. And we certainly see that happening here. And so that kind of leads up to verse 17. So let's look at it. Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. And this is the word of God. Amen. Uh, then the high priest rose up. He and all who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Now stop right here for just a minute. Now we saw this a little bit last week, seeing it again this week. Uh, they, last week they were... They were scolded, the, Peter and John were, said, don't talk about the name anymore. And, and they kind of gave him a little slap on the wrist and that was it. And they went and prayed, Lord, go before us in miracles. God, give us boldness. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. God answered that prayer. More people getting saved, more work of, of the power of God. And, and finally, these, these leaders are like, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. They're, they're still back out there doing this. And so they, they go and have them arrested. And look at what's motivating it. Look at verse 17. Somebody lift up your voice and tell me, what was their motivation for throwing these guys in jail? That's right. They were filled with jealousy. Don't you just love it uh, when, when you're around somebody really jealous? Doesn't jealousy just look good on somebody, right? You're looking so nice in your jealousy today. You know, no, I mean, jealousy always brings out the worst in you. 
right? I mean, I can't believe that, that nobody's coming over to my thing and they're not listening to my thing and they're not looking at my thing and they're going with those people and, and there's just so much jealousy going on. Nothing good comes out of jealousy. In fact, I love what Proverbs 27, 4 says, wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? I mean, there's anger and there's wrath, but who can stand before jealousy? What a damaging, corruptive, corrosive thing it is. That's why James 3.16 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Wow. And that's what you're seeing here. I mean, they're filled, they could have been filled with the Spirit of God. They could have turned in faith, but no, they're filled with jealousy. And what's going to come out of it is attack and anger and assault and uh, an increasing, increasing measure. What, what they don't know is what you already know, and that is when God starts it, no one can stop it. When God begins his church, no one can stop his church. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. What I want to show you in this passage, uh, if you're taking those three things, uh, are three ingredients of when a movement really begins to go. The, the work, when, when, the, when God begins to work in a fresh new way, when there's a new fresh movement of God, whether it's in our country, whether it's around the world, whether it's throughout history, there will always be these three central ingredients. All right? Three ingredients of an unstoppable movement. Here's the first one. The first one is divine intervention. Divine intervention. Look at verse 19. All right, the guys that got thrown in jail, verse 19. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, this is the first appearance of an angel in the book of Acts, all right? There'll be 22 times that angels appear in the book of Acts. This is the very first one. Now, I don't have really time to get into a, a, a deeper study of angels, but suffice to say the, the term angel just means messenger. So an angel is a created being by God that is a messenger of God. Uh, angels many times, oftentimes, were the agency by which God intervened or intervenes in the world. And you see it, of course, in this particular situation, that an angel opened up the door. to. And I just love kind of the cavalier way it's written. Oh, and by the way, an angel came and opened up the door, and they just kind of moves on. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I want to know a little bit more about that. How, how did that work? I mean, were the guards asleep? You know, did the door kind of creak open? Did they like step through the bars? I mean, how exactly did this work? We, we're not given any of it. It just kind of takes it for granted. Yeah, of course, you know, an angel came like this happens all the time, Right. Uh, but, but nevertheless, God is working, and I love what the angel tells them to do. The, this, this is one of my favorite parts. The angel tells them, he says, go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. Circle those words, this life. Go tell them about this life. Tell them about this eternal life that's in Jesus Christ. Tell them about this new life that you can have in Jesus. Tell them about this abundant life, this overflowing life. You know what? I've got a conviction. I just want to share this with you. I've got a conviction. I believe 
that life is better with Jesus than without Jesus. You agree with that? That life is so much, because Jesus said the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And there are a lot of people, man, you're going through the, you're going to job, you're going to work, you're doing all the kid things, you got, you, you got all the stuff and the toys, but you don't have life. You're empty on the inside because you don't have Jesus Christ. You can be a dead man walking, constantly looking, maybe that promotion will give me life. Maybe that next relationship, maybe that next thrill, maybe that next vacation, maybe that next thing will really fulfill me. But you can never be satisfied until you find your satisfaction in Jesus Christ. He said, go tell them about the life. Tell them about the life that they can have. And so these guys, they go out. I mean, at daybreak, they're back out. How many of you would be a little nervous about going back out there the next day? Yeah. I'm like, man, I don't know about that. I kind of got us in trouble the last time. Not these guys. They're like in it. They're just in it. They're like back out, preaching the next morning, preaching about Jesus Christ, no regard for what it's going to, to cost them. And uh, look at what happens next. Uh, and when the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, the full council of the Israelites, and sent order to the jail to have them brought. And when the servants got there, they did not find them in the jail. So they returned and reported, we have found the jail securely locked with the guards standing in front of the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Verse 24. And the captain of the temple police and the chief priests heard these things and they were, what does your version say? Amazed? Baffled. I love that word, by the way, baffled, all right? They're like baffled. What is going on here? Man, they were baffled about these things, wondering what could come of this, all right? They're like, well, what is happening here? I mean, yeah, we found them. Did you go to the jail? Yeah, we found the jail. Were the doors locked? Yeah, they were locked. Were the guards outside? Yeah, the guards are outside. Nobody in there? No, what, what is happening here? And then here's my favorite one, verse 25. We do this in a church play. I'd love to be the guy that has this line. And, and someone came and reported them saying, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Hey, are you guys missing something? Uh, I think you misplaced them. They're out there, right? I mean, these guys, can't you just imagine? If they had hair, they'd be pulling it out at this point. They're like, how do I? We got these guys and we put them in jail. And now they're back out there. They're, doing, they're just doing exactly what we tell them not to do. And so now they're going to go get them again. Uh, look at it, verse 26. The commander went with the servants and brought them without force because they were afraid that people might stone them. Uh, Mr. Apostle, um, could you please come with us? <laughs> we would really like your attendance at a meeting that we're going to have over here. You know, I, I don't know, something like that probably. And uh, what is happening here? What, what is all this about? Uh, divine intervention. That God is working in a way that no one can humanly explain. And when you see the movement of God happening, whether it's in our country, whether it is around the world, whether it's throughout church history, there is always the unexplainable intervention of God in the lives and, 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 and the activity of man.
And that, do you believe that that still happens today? I mean, is this just a Bible story that, you know, uh, happened a long time ago, doesn't happen today, or does it actually still happen today? Listen, I, I don't know if you know this, but uh, there, there's a, a real thing happening right now, particularly in, in predominantly Muslim war, uh, countries where, where people are having dreams. You know about this? People are having dreams. Uh, th- this is so common. Thousands, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are having them. That, that they'll, that the dreams are often different, but sometimes uh, there'll be a dream of a man in white that tells them to go to a certain location or to look for a certain person, and they're going to tell you more about me. And then sure enough, they go to that one place and they see the person in their dream and they say, I had this dream. It, it, this is so common that many missionaries now are asking the question, are you having dreams? Have you had any dreams recently? I heard a story just this last week. Uh, a friend of mine was in a uh, predominantly Muslim country and a man came to him and he said, I, I had a dream. I need, to, I need to ask you what it means. He said, tell me about it. He said, I saw a man in white and, and he gave me a medallion. And on the medallion were the numbers 1616. And, and I was supposed to ask you, what does this mean? And uh, my friend talked to him and he said, uh, he said, 1616 is a reference to, in the gospel, Mark 16, verse 16, which says, which says this, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And that man, hearing the gospel in that moment, gave his life to Jesus Christ. Now, does anybody have a good explanation for that outside of divine intervention? I mean, this kind of thing is happening all over the place. In fact, did you know this kind of thing is happening here? There was a, uh, uh, a Muslim man that lives in our area uh, that was standing outside of Burville High School a couple of years ago and met one of our church members there and said, are you a Christian? And they said, yeah, I, I'm a Christian. He said, I just had this weird dream and I, I, I thought maybe you could tell me about it. And uh, they introduced him to some other people in our church and, and got to sit down and explain to him the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I, my point is that this divine intervention is happening even now. And many times it's lost on us. You know, I think about um, Elisha, the prophet, when uh, he was surrounded by an army and his servant was terrified and, uh, and Elisha prayed, Lord, open the serv- my servant's eyes and he could see all these angelic hosts around them. And he said, see, there's more with us than there is with them. <laughs> hey, wouldn't you love for your eyes just to be open for a moment to see how God is at work? Listen, God's at work around you more than you realize. God's intervening more than you realize. And one of the ingredients that there is a movement of God is when God's people become more aware of God's supernatural divine intervention to open up doors for the gospel. So we need to pray for that, right? God, show us where you're at work. God, show us what you're doing around me. God, show me the open doors in my office. God, show me where you're at work in my neighbor's life and in my friend's life so that I have an opportunity to talk about you. The first ingredient in an unstoppable movement is divine intervention. The second one is this, gospel proclamation. Gospel proclamation, look at verse 27. And after they brought them in, 
They had them stand before the Sanhedrin and the high priest asked, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and have determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. I mean, you can, you can feel the frustration building, right? Didn't we tell you not to talk about the name? I mean, it's like he got, can't even say the name Jesus, right? He can't even let that utter his name. You know the name I'm talking about. There was a certain name that you were not to talk about. You know the name. And you, we, didn't we tell you not to say anything about the name? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus, yeah, you know the name that I'm talking about. And, and he says, you're, you're trying to make us guilty of this man's blood. I mean, obviously they've forgotten that just about a little over a month earlier, when Pilate said, what has this man done? They said, crucify him, let his blood be on us and on our children. They've forgotten that part. They were guilty of the blood of Jesus. But, but here's what really jumps off the page at me when I read what, what they said here. They said, um, they, they said, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Oh, I, I wish that that could be said about us, right? Man, you, that, that Cross Creek Church, man, they're just driving us nuts because they're just talking about Jesus everywhere. You know, they talk about Jesus at work. They're talking about Jesus at school. They're talking about Jesus in the marketplace. They're talking about Jesus in the neighborhood. I mean, Jesus, Jesus. somebody's got to stop that Cross Creek Church, man, because they're just filled our whole city with the name. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, we would have like a celebration if that happened. Like we'd, we'd, we'd have some church. We'd, we'd get the organ out if that happened, all right? That would be some church now. That's what would happen. Somebody say amen to that. All right. And so what's Peter going to say? Verse 29. And Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. We've heard that before. Verse 30. And the God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted this man to the right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Here, here's what I want you to see right here is in these few verses, is the historic, biblical, gospel message. Four points. I want you to see it's very important. What does Peter do? He just goes back to the clarity of the gospel. Number one, Jesus died. He says, you murdered him. Literally, it's by your own hand. You are the one that killed him on a cross. Hung him on a tree doesn't mean like hanging on news. This, this is a, a reference to nailing a person on a cross. He, you, he died on the cross, number one, substitutionary atonement. Number two, he rose again from the grave. Physical resurrection and ascension. That's the second element of the gospel. Number three, that he is both Savior and Lord. That he is the one that saves and he is the one Lord, a ruler king, the one who will answer to. And then the fourth element of the gospel, that repentance and forgiveness come through him. Now listen, if I was wanting to stop a movement, if I was wanting to stop the Christian movement, I might try to stop the messengers, right? 
stop doing that. I'd try to put the heat on the messengers. If I couldn't get them quiet, then I would try to pervert the message. I just try to mess with the message, right? Dilute the message. Make it more palatable so it no longer has the sting of truth. And that's what we see today. We see a lot of people trying to dilute the message, trying to attack the simple, historic, gospel message of those four things. But Peter did not back away. Peter did not uh, dumb it down. He doubled down, right? And, and he said, no, 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 this is the gospel message. And I want you to notice when he, when he shares this message with them, I want you to see how excited they are to hear it, all right? Uh, are they going to give him a standing ovation? Yes or no? Uh, no. Look at verse 33. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. <laughs> that's, that's a hard day's preaching right there, man. When they want to kill you. Uh, literally the word enraged there means to come unglued, to come apart at the seams. They were just like, who do you think you are? To tell us that we're guilty, to tell us that we need salvation, tell us that, that we need to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Who, who do you think you are that we need repentance? And they are coming unglued. And by the way, this is about to get out of control. Verse 34, but a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken out for a little while. Now what's happening here is the apostles are like, hey, you gotta know that Jesus is, is Christ and you need repentance. And, 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 the, and the Pharisees are like, no, we're in charge. You're gonna do what we're telling. And this thing is about to go sideways in a royal way. And so Gamaliel stands up and asks the apostles to be removed. And it's almost like he's saying, okay, guys, let's all take a breath. Let's take a breath for just a minute. Who was Gamaliel? He was one of the premier leaders. He was a Pharisee, actually. His, he was the grandson of Rabbi Hillel, who was a historic rabbi, rabbinic leader. Um, in fact, another interesting fact about Gamaliel, he was actually the one who tutored a young rabbi named Saul, who would later come to faith in Jesus Christ and become the apostle Paul. This was that Gamaliel. And so God is going to speak through this man. And so he addresses the crowd. He knows it's getting sideways. He addresses this crowd. Look at what, look at what he says. Verse 35, and he said to them, men of Israel, be careful about what you're about to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and all his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished and all his followers were scattered. In other words, he's saying, guys, we've seen this before, right? We've seen somebody, you know, gather a few people around them and, and they're going to be the, the, the Messiah. They're going to be the revolutionary. And then we take them out and then it just disperses. <clears throat> we've seen this before. Look at verse 38. So in the present case, I tell you, Stay away from these men and leave them alone. Here it is. For if this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. 
But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. And they were persuaded by him. What profound words. The right man in the right place in the right time. And he spoke truth. He was saying what we know, that if God starts it, no one can stop it. That the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that God is founding and God is starting and when God has it moving, that you cannot stop it. You know, it's interesting, whenever I read those words of Gamaliel, I'm always amazed at just how profound they are. But it's easy for us to look at these guys and go, oh, these are the guys that are all dressed in black. They're the bad guys of the story. Boo, you know, they're, they're trying to resist what God is doing. How dare they? You know, they're so insensitive. They're so evil. They're so bad, right? We, we tend to paint that picture. But let me, just, let me just say, you and I can do the same thing. In fact, let me take it a step further. You and I do the same thing. We can be found fighting against God. You say, well, what are you talking about, preacher? I don't fight against God. Sometimes God's at work in our kids' lives and God's bringing them through a really hard time. And through that crisis, God's gonna bring them to the end of themselves where they will finally come to repentance, but we can intervene and try to make things better because we don't want them to go through a hard time and we can actually get in the way of what God is trying to do and inadvertently be resisting what God is doing. Sometimes God's at work in our church and man, people are getting saved and baptized and church is planted and things are awesome. And, but, but, but you're like, well, I don't like X or B or whatever the case may be. And, and you're actually resisting the very thing that God is, is doing. Sometimes, let me make it even more personal. Sometimes you're sitting in a message and God is speaking directly to you. And there's an area of sin in your life that he wants you to get out there's an area of obedience that you failed to do and God is convicting you and you know it's from him but you resist him. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I'll do that later. And you find yourself fighting against God. Can we all agree that fighting against God is not a winnable fight? You don't want to be found fighting against God. Resisting what God is doing. See, what I want you to see is that in this movement that is happening here, God's at work. God's at work. You have divine intervention. God is doing supernatural work and God's at work even now among us. And then you have this bold gospel proclamation, not watering it down, giving the clarity of the gospel that calls people to salvation in Jesus Christ uh, But with divine intervention and gospel proclamation also comes one more element, and that is this last one, and that is joyful persecution. Joyful persecution. Look at verse 40. And after they called in the apostles and had them flogged, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and released them. Now, last time they told them, now don't talk about the name anymore, but this time they upped it. You notice it says they had them flogged. We don't know if this was the 40 lashes minus one. We don't know if this was with rods. 
The same word is used with the Apostle Paul when he was beaten by the Romans and later they discovered that it was illegal to beat a Roman citizen and they were terrified. It was a public humiliation. It was a physical torment. Hey, if I said, uh, we're going to have some flogging demonstrations in the lobby today, anybody like to volunteer? After you saw the first hit, you would say, no way, all right? This was real. And yet they received it. How did they receive it? Look at it, verse 41. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing, circle that, that they were even counted worthy, circle that, to be treated shamefully, circle that, on behalf of the name. That they were joyful because they considered themselves counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ. Listen, when you see divine intervention and gospel proclamation, you also see with it in an exploding movement, Christians that are willing to pay the price to be called a follower of Jesus. And my friends, if we're gonna see a renewal in our own country, it will be that same price to be paid. We see this happening all around the world. Just a couple of months ago, we sent a team to Burkina. We have church plants in Burkina Faso. Here's a picture of some of our team and some of, uh, some of the men that are our church planters there. I just want you to look at their faces. The next slide shows some of the ladies that were also trained. Look, look at their faces. What do you see? Joy. Now keep looking at their face. What I want you to understand is they're about to go out into the remote villages in Burkina where there are Islamic terrorists, where there is no 911, where their lives will literally be on the line if they mention the name Jesus. And they are joyful to be counted worthy to bear the name of Jesus. Let me ask you something. Are you joyful like that? Would you consider it a joy? Would you consider it a, a something that you're counted worthy? If you were to suffer at work or in your school or at your job or in your neighborhood because you said, I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. Listen, when, when those three things come together, you have a movement that cannot be stopped. When God starts a church, no one can stop it. And I believe that God wants a renewing work in our country. Don't we need it? Don't we need a spiritual awakening in our country? Maybe that needs to start right here with us. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Maybe today the takeaway of this message is that God wants to do a new work, but he's gonna to have to do it through us. Are you seeing where God is at work around you and asking God to open your eyes to that? Are you willing to be bold with the gospel and hold tightly to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you fighting against the Lord? 
or you fully surrender to Him, even considering it a joy to suffer for His name. This is the church that God blesses. This is the church that God uses. And this is the church that will be an unstoppable force for God in the world. Father, I thank you for your word today. Lord, thank you for the reminder of the kind of church you want us to be. Lord, that last verse in this chapter says that the movement continued to grow. People continued to be saved. The gospel would continue to go out all because you found a church there that you could use. Lord, I pray that when you look here, you'd find believers here, God, that you can use. That we would be a church like that. That we're people looking for your divine intervention in our lives. That we're people that are eager and ready to tell about the hope that is within us. That this week, God, we would be ready and bold and even count it worthy to walk through difficulty and hardship for the sake of the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you that it's through that name and through the blood of Jesus Christ that we're saved, that we have hope, that we have joy and peace. And Lord, I pray that this week we will be bold people that know and follow you right where you put us. Lord, we love you. We surrender ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.